Lean Mass Hyper Responders. So this appears to be this new thing online where there's a group of individuals, mostly of the carnivore and keto variety, that uh, believe that if they have, if they are very lean, hence the lean part, if they're very lean, they're not overweight, and they are hyper responders to eating saturated fat. These are people that eat carnivore, eat lots of butter, bacon, cheese, whatever. They eat a lot of saturated fat, and their LDL cholesterol hyper responds. It goes up significantly. They might have an LDL cholesterol, let's say, of 120, and when they adopt this type of diet, it goes up to 300, you know, 500, whatever. I've seen really, really high numbers. And they believe that because they're otherwise healthy, their triglycerides are super low, their HDL is, you know, more elevated than usual, that they are okay, that they are not uh, at risk. So let's look at what the data says, and then we can decide from there. This was a point of contention during my debate slash discussion with Paul Saladino, carnivore MD. And I have no idea how, how or why this came up, but it did. So we went into uh, extensive detail on that. And if you want to watch the video, you know, go over to his YouTube channel and watch that. Um, but the uh, here, here's kind of my views on it. There's this new thing. And, and I think the part of the problem is they think it's new. They think this has never been studied before. They think that it's never been a thing that it's this whole new era of science. And the other thing that kind of gets them going is they think that the world of science is trying to hold their data back. Like the world of cardiology or scientists are trying to hold back science. And we're trying to deny that lean mass hyperresponders exist or trying to deny the science that they'll be okay or trying to deny the science that they are at risk. So... Unfortunately, that's not true. Scientists are always trying to learn more. And if anything comes up of their study that's interesting, it would be nice. But so far, from what I've read, various publications have uh, requested their that their manuscript be redone. And they've requested for them to uh, actually have a lipidologist or somebody who's more, um, what's the word, more intelligent about lipids and cardiology help them write this because a lot of the nomenclature and the words that they're using or the, the way they're discussing it is not um, up to snuff, let's say, to put it into a journal. So the uh, journal articles are saying, listen, have a lipidologist or somebody help you because some of what you're saying, it may be valid and maybe you got you have something there, but it's just not worded correctly or just you know it's just not scientific enough and we need it to be a little bit more scientific so that we can actually publish this. We can't publish, you know, third grade level research in a, let's say, 10th grade level paper, you know what I'm saying, or a journal. Um, so that's how, uh, that's the, where they are now. Now they are trying and I encourage them to continue trying. Um, but probably the best way to attack this is, first of all, on the outset, before we get into it, um, the data on um, LDL cholesterol is very, very clear. Brian Ferentz and his group in the European Atherosclerotic Society um, wanted to answer the question, does LDL cholesterol in and of itself cause atherosclerosis? So they designed a study where they said, why don't we just pull together all of the previous data, pull together any study that's ever been done on LDL cholesterol or total cholesterol, whatever it is. Let's pull together all of these studies that have ever been done on cholesterol and see if we can draw a causative 
conclusion, not just correlation. We can't, you know, all the studies, you know, kind of show that high LDL correlates with atherosclerosis, obviously. We've known that for ages. But can we prove that it causes it? So Brian Ferentz and his group decided that they, they wanted to answer that exact question. So they said, how can we design a study that with absolute certainty will prove whether or not LDL cholesterol causes or does not cause atherosclerosis? So that's what they did. They designed a study and they said, what would it take to prove this once and for all? So that's the study um, that they designed. And it's, it was a very well done study with 20 million person years of follow-up. For those of you who don't know what that means, if you took a million people and followed them around for 20 years or took 10 million people and followed them around for two years, that in, you end up with 20 million person years of follow-up. So they did that study. They looked at all different kinds of studies. They looked at Mendelian randomization. They looked at randomized control trials. They looked at cohort studies. They looked at um, pretty much any intervention trials that you can imagine. And they proved with absolute certainty that LDL cholesterol or ApoB, apolipoprotein B, actually causes atherosclerosis. So that's on the outset. And that was the opening conversation that I had with Paul Saladino. And he generally agreed that LDL cholesterol is heavily involved in atherosclerosis. He couldn't deny that. Because I've told these people when I talk to them, like, listen, we can't start out by you denying the science. If you deny the science behind LDL cholesterol, it's a non-starter. You know, we can't really have that conversation. If you want to say, no, well, I think, I think, I think, I think, and it might be, and it might be, then stop. We can't do that. There's established evidence and established science. Let's stick with that, and then I'm, I'll agree with you on certain things. So Paul agreed with me on the outset that LDL cholesterol, he doesn't want to say straight up that it is the cause of atherosclerosis, but he said it's heavily involved. So towards the end of our discussion, I said that atherosclerosis is the actual fire that is burning, causing the LDL cholesterol is the actual fire burning, causing atherosclerosis. He said, no, it might be the wood, but it's not the spark. He thinks that the spark is, you know, being metabolically unhealthy or inflammation or insulin resistance or something like that. Even though we have tons of studies that show that you do not need inflammation, you do not need insulin resistance to have atherosclerosis. Like that's been established. Um, but it goes against what he stands for um, to state otherwise. And we did get into that. So I don't want to bore you guys to death about that. We've talked about that interview previously. But I wanted to present to you guys the evidence that the lean mass hyperresponder thing has been studied extensively before, and it's not something new. And if they do find something new and they have a few things that they can contribute to the uh, science world, great. No one is against that, obviously. You know, we'll be more than happy to evaluate it once it comes out. Um, but right now, it's not looking too promising. So rather than try to wing this off the top of my head, I think the best way to do this would be to read to you from my new cholesterol book, the actual chapter called Metabolically Healthy? Question mark, Lean Mass Hyperresponders, LMHR. Um, that's the hashtag they use on Twitter or X, whatever it's called now. Um, I'll just read you that chapter and you guys um, will be able to evaluate the evidence on your own. Now, I will say, if you want to know when my book is coming out, the cholesterol book, go to drallo.net slash cholesterol. The link is always in my link trees. You'll get on my list and you'll be the first to know when that book is coming out. And it's it's in its last few phases um, of editing. I've had some lipidologists and some other cardiologists take a look at it as well, as well as some other doctors, um, because I don't want this to be something that comes out and then everybody says, well, on this page he said that and on this page he said that. No, I want this to be like, listen, this is definitive evidence. 
This is like the new Bible, the new Torah, the new, you know, whatever religion you follow, the new Quran um, on lipidology or cholesterol for the lay public. This is not going to be like a textbook format where it's like all these very highly technical terms. This is going to be in words and, and sentence structure and paragraphs that everybody can understand. I wanted it to be at a seventh to eighth grade reading level, but, you know, it's a very technical subject and it's probably more of a high school to college age level. But let's start with the uh, first chapter or the chapter on the lean mass hyperresponders. There is this movement online where people who eat very low carb, eat mostly meat and fat, including saturated fat, think that they cannot get heart disease because they are metabolically healthy. They define this as having normal HDL, low triglycerides, and often extremely elevated low-density lipoprotein cholesterol. They call this phenotype lean mass hyperresponders. Nearly every study that has looked at LDL cholesterol, including many that I've discussed earlier in this book, in the first few chapters and throughout, all include these young, healthy people who have elevated LDL cholesterol due to eating a lipid-elevating diet. What if we took out that subset of the population and looked at them specifically? Deidre Tobias is an assistant professor in the Department of Nutrition at Harvard University. She is an obesity and nutrition epidemiologist. She set out to answer this exact question. As a specialist in epidemiology, she is an expert in the field and in data analysis. Yes, it has been answered before, but she wanted to be absolutely certain and provide a detailed review of this topic. Dr. Tobias's bio can be found at, there's a link to her Harvard profile and her picture. She conducted this analysis on the Women's Health Study Database. They included women with prior CVD, prior coronary vascular disease, um, cancer, or diabetes. She wanted only, quote, metabolically healthy, unquote, participants. She ended up with 19,057 women in her cohort for analysis. These were women with normal blood sugars, low triglycerides, high HDL cholesterol, and an LDL cholesterol level available for analysis. The metabolically healthy women she analyzed were, and this is from her paper, leaner, more educated, higher income, not a current smoker, active, mild drinkers. As the LDL cholesterol went higher and higher, the women were older, higher BMI, postmenopausal, and had modestly lower education and income. She adjusted for these confounders. She evaluated baseline lipids, follow-up lipids, and long-term follow-up 20-plus years for death. She obviously removed statin users. The overall population was stratified based on their HDL, cholesterol, and triglycerides. They had to have an HDL cholesterol equal to or greater than 50 milligrams per deciliter, and triglycerides less than 100 milligrams per deciliter. She then divided the participants based on highest and lowest LDL cholesterol quintiles. Quintiles means dividing a cohort into five groups, the top uh, 20%, the next 20%, and so on until you have five cohorts, each comprising the next lowest or highest 20%. She adjusted for smoking, obesity, BMI, age, and other confounders. Here are the results. So, there's a graph of a survivability graph, a survival chart. And you'll notice that the uh, quintile with the highest LDL cholesterol had the lowest chance of surviving. And the group with the lowest LDL cholesterol had the better, best chance or odds ratio of surviving. Back to the text. 
This was the result. The pink line at the bottom is the survival curve. The highest quintile had the lowest survival. You started to see separation around the five-year mark. What if she went stricter? What about if we wanted only the very best metabolically healthy individuals? She removed people with hypertension, BMI over 25, and an A1C over 6.5. Here's that survival chart, except that the difference between the highest and lowest quintiles was even more profound. So when you went even stricter, the new chart that she had posted shows an even more uh, substantial difference between the lowest LDL cholesterol and the highest LDL cholesterol. Back to the text. Her conclusions were very clear. Women with higher LDL cholesterol, regardless of many other metabolic factors, were more likely to die during follow-up. This isn't news. We have known for years that elevated LDL cholesterol, regardless of anything else, increases all-cause mortality. The higher your LDL cholesterol, the more likely you are to die, and sooner. But this was one way to make it absolutely clear for the LDL and cholesterol deniers. You can access her paper, charts, and graphs, and research in the supplemental info that comes with this book when you go to dralonet slash lipids and register for the bonus material. Another great article on this topic was the one done at The Ohio State University, and it is titled, The Effects of Carbohydrate Versus Fat Restriction on Lipid Profiles in Highly Trained Recreational Distance Runners, a Randomized Crossover Trial. This was done on super lean athletes, by the way. This was a trial on very lean, super-athletic individuals who started out on a high-carb, low-fat diet and switched over to a low-carb, high-fat diet. They measured the lipid profiles of these athletes. This was not a huge trial by any means. They included only seven athletes. They concluded that, a, that healthy athletes with no prior cholesterol problems on a low-carb, high-fat diet demonstrated elevated LDL cholesterol and HDL cholesterol concentrations. And then I show the charts here. Charts A, B, and C are the charts that plotted total cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, and high density or HDL cholesterol. You notice that all of them went up. We know what happens when LDL cholesterol is elevated for decades, even in otherwise healthy runners. They had a 38% increase in LDL cholesterol. Continuing with the book now. In perhaps the most compelling study ever done on young people with no prior history of CVD, the PISA trial, PESA, which stands for Prevention of Early Subclinical Atherosclerosis, looked to answer this exact question. What if we looked at young people with no known atherosclerosis and tried to assess their risk? They looked at 4,185 participants with a mean age of 45. Only 15% of them were obese, 37% were women, and they used 16 types of very fancy imaging to assess atherosclerosis in five different vascular beds. These imaging techniques are not available to most clinicians and are used in research labs. They are quite expensive. Only 18% had a calcium artery score that was positive, meaning 0 to 99. They found that 63% of all participants had atherosclerosis in at least one arterial bed. Of those with atherosclerosis in one bed, approximately 63% had atherosclerosis in more than one bed. They also found that of those with a calcium score of 0, 60% had subclinical atherosclerosis in at least one arterial bed. Even more interestingly, they found that 45% of people with a quote-unquote normal LDL cholesterol of 110 mg per deciliter had atherosclerosis. When the LDL cholesterol was at the upper limit of quote normal at 130 mg per deciliter, 58% had atherosclerosis. When you looked at 
LDL cholesterol is of 150 milligrams per deciliter. 64% of participants had atherosclerosis. The current recommended upper limit of normal is no longer 130 milligrams per deciliter, but has been lowered to 100 milligrams per deciliter and probably should be even lower. Further, the Framingham 10-year risk score of most participants was 6%, and most participants, 85%, were considered low risk based on traditional risk calculators. That's a lot to think about. Take a look at the central illustration. And here's the central illustration um, from the PISA trial. And you can see it uh, if you look up the PISA trial. And then it says, zoom in on the top right. Notice that a normal LDL cholesterol of 110, 45% of participants had atherosclerosis, and it goes up to 64% as you approach 150 milligrams per deciliter. This is in a population that is otherwise thought to be low risk and healthy with no obesity, no calcium, and no traditional risk factors. Even the risk calculators calculate their 10-year risk score at 6%, which is below the 7.5% or 10% that is required to recommend medications and interventions. Also note that people with an LDL cholesterol below 60 had no atherosclerosis. This confirms the findings of the Jupiter trial that showed that an LDL cholesterol below about 57, point, 57 milligrams per deciliter, and you can significantly reduce or eliminate atherosclerosis. The take-home message is that even in young, healthy individuals, LDL cholesterol is what matters. Regardless of how healthy you are, you have plaque in at least one arterial bed, and up to 63% of those people have it in more than one arterial bed. Then read the full study, and it has a link out to the study. Similarly, the CARDIA trial looked at 5,115 young men, age 18 to 30, who were also healthy and followed them for 35 years. They examined many factors, one of which was LDL cholesterol over time. LDL cholesterol exposure before the age of 40 was associated with, an, with atherosclerosis after age 40. They found a 20% reduction in CVD risk for every 1 milligram per deciliter reduction in LDL cholesterol of cumulative exposure. As an example, if person A has an LDL cholesterol of 100 milligrams per deciliter for 10 years, that's 1,000 milligrams per deciliter per year of exposure. Person B has an LDL cholesterol of 101 milligrams per, deci per deciliters for 10 years, they have a 1,010 milligram per deciliter per years of exposure. That extra 1 milligram per deciliter over 10 years increased their relative risk of atherosclerosis by 20% after the age of 40. They also found that the higher the exposure at a younger age accounted for worse atherosclerosis after age 40. The recommendation would be to treat it sooner and lower in your 20s and 30s to avoid serious atherosclerosis in your 40s and beyond. The authors concluded, quote, These findings indicate that both cumulative exposure and exposure that happens earlier in young adulthood are more important contributors to midlife CVD events than later concentrations with potential implications for early life primordial prevention strategies, end quote. They also found that only 10% of participants had a positive CAC score by year 15 of follow-up, meaning most participants essentially had very little, quote, late-stage atherosclerosis, unquote, but they must have had plenty of soft, undetectable plaque. They also found that those with the lowest LDL cholesterol, below 90 milligrams per deciliter, had a negative time to first visit. This means that low LDL cholesterol conferred protection and delayed the expected onset of disease compared to their cohorts with higher LDL cholesterol levels. They also found that those with the 
with higher LDL cholesterol of 110 to 130 milligrams per deciliter had ever-increasing earlier and worse atherosclerosis compared to the rest. Here's the central illustration from the study, and you can obviously go to my book or look up the study and read about it. In the area under the curve study, um, they stress that the longer you are exposed to high LDL cholesterol for a longer period of time, especially in your earlier years, the worse the incident atherosclerosis when you are older. The authors conclude, quote, Incident CVD event risk depends on cumulative prior exposure to LDL cholesterol measured by the area under the LDL-C versus age curve and, independently, on the time course of area accumulation. The same area accumulated at a younger age compared with an older age resulted in greater risk increase, emphasizing the importance of optimal LDL cholesterol control starting earlier in life, end quote. And here's the central illustration from the area under the curve analysis, and this is both on still the CARDIA study. The higher your cumulative exposure to LDL cholesterol from ages 18 to 14, the higher the chance of having incident atherosclerosis by age 40. Obviously, the group represented by the blue line had the highest cumulative exposure to LDL cholesterol. For all of those claiming they are metabolically healthy and that high LDL cholesterol doesn't matter, if your HDLC, HDL cholesterol, is high or your triglycerides are low, please show them this data. Without a shadow of a doubt, high LDL cholesterol causes atherosclerosis and you are at risk based on your cumulative exposure to high levels of LDL cholesterol over the years, especially if it began when you were a teenager. And that ends the chapter there. The next chapter is you don't need insulin resistance. I think we've talked about that extensively. Um, but this is uh, large data sets with you know thousands of people showing that high LDL cholesterol, even if you're young and lean and healthy and don't have any of these other metabolic diseases, have no calcium scores, have nothing, still you are at risk for atherosclerosis. And the sooner and the higher it is in the beginning of your life or as you are younger, the worse um, it ends up being um, when you are older. So controlling your LDL cholesterol long before you're 40 years old prevents you from having uh, dyslipidemia or atherosclerotic heart disease events when you finally are uh, over 40 years old. So hopefully you are enjoying this podcast. Share it with your friends. Give me some awesome reviews. Love you all. Peace. <laughs>